Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Luke 2, 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their friends and relatives. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Keep your Bibles open in front of you. Uh, We'll be back to it in a moment. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. As Pastor Melissa said earlier, this is the first Sunday after Christmas. In seminary, I was an intern in a Presbyterian church that observed the church year much more consistently than did my home Brethren in Christ church. In my home church, we did give out a box of candy at Christmas and sang quick carols, but that's about all I remember about Advent and Christmas in my home congregation. So later, I appreciated the rhythm of the church year that included the 12 days of Christmas between Jesus' birth and Epiphany when we celebrate the coming of the Magi. But one thing that Presbyterian pastor who supervised me struggled with was getting people to sing only Advent hymns in expectation of Jesus' coming, like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and come thou long expected Jesus, and then carols at Christmas, like O Little Town of Bethlehem and, of course, Silent Night. And it was especially difficult to get people to sing carols for the 12 days of Christmas. Pastor Dave likely feels that here at Grantham. 
where we are far less attuned to the church year than that Presbyterian church was. And yet during Advent this year, we sang hymns of expectation of Jesus' coming until the carols sang last Sunday evening, then more carols on Christmas Eve, and still more during the 12 days of Christmas today. Now, it may be that I was more comfortable celebrating the 12 days of Christmas because my mother's family always got together on this Sunday, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's Day. Although that occasion was mostly preoccupied with eating portions of food so huge that leftovers were stuffed into containers and sent home with grandma and grandpa, more than they could ever eat, and with the Chicago Bears Green Bay Packers football game, that the men watched while the women cleaned up in the kitchen. Jesus' birth may have been the reason for that event, but it was not its focus. Still, that family celebration made me comfortable celebrating Christmas after Jesus' birth, focusing on the scriptures that follow the Christmas story, and that's what we are doing today. In the passage before our scripture lesson, Two aging prophets, one male, one female, celebrate Jesus' birth. When he's presented in the temple by his parents, neither Simeon nor Anna appear in the Bible outside of that passage, but both affirm that Jesus is the Christ and the Savior of the world. After the blessings of those two old prophets, We do not hear of Jesus for 12 years. All that is said about those years is, and the child grew and became strong with the wisdom and the grace of God. During Jesus' 12th year, he went again to the temple with his parents for Passover. That's the setting of our scripture lesson, Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. And here we find Jesus pursuing his theological education in the temple, among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Jesus felt so at home with them that he paid no attention to going home with his parents. He strays from his birth family to stay in the temple where God had chosen him to be. Similarly, we need homes that welcome us and nurture our faith. Home is an appropriate theme for Advent and Christmas as we have followed it. Pastor Melissa challenged the Discipleship Commission to read a book by Mike Breen, Building a Discipling Culture. Breen says, Three stages are important in learning. Information, apprenticeship, and immersion. Let's look at them in the scripture passage today. Information, apprenticeship, and immersion. We see these three stages in the life of Jesus. According to Luke's gospel, Jesus' parents did everything required by the law of the Lord. Jesus was instructed in the information and practices of his faith community. 
then he entered an apprenticeship with the best possible mentor, his heavenly father. And his discipleship was enhanced when he was in the temple, so immersed in dialogue with the scribes and the teachers that he forgot his earthly father and mother to do the business of his heavenly father. Let's look at Jesus' immersion in the temple. Still have your Bibles open? Scripture lesson begins in Luke 2, 41. We learned that every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival, as was their custom. The law actually prescribed three pilgrimages to Jerusalem for Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, those feasts. But for people at a distance as far as Nazareth, only Passover was required. So Jesus' parents probably traveled to Passover in Jerusalem every year. But this year is special. Jesus' 12th year, the year when he has come of age and is expected to attend the Passover festival. As a woman, Mary is not legally required or obligated to attend the feast. But she chooses to follow this annual religious custom even though it involved an 80-mile, three-day walk. Let that sit there for a moment. From Nazareth to Jerusalem. And this trip to Jerusalem was a financial hardship for Jesus' poor family. They're offering at Jesus' consecration of doves and pigeons rather than a lamb indicates that Jesus' family was poor. Despite their poverty, Jesus was discipled in a family of devout Jews. Circumcised, they circumcised him at eight years, eight days old, sorry, formally stamping Jesus as a practicing Jew and named him after Israel's great deliverer, Joshua. Jesus' name, Jesus, in Hebrew, Yahshua, is composed of Yah, for Israel's God, and Shua, which means saves. In the Bible, names were given to denote character. What a great name for Jesus. God saves. When Amy's mother was pregnant with her, her sister was also pregnant, but died in childbirth along with the baby. Can you imagine the trauma that Amy's mother had, still pregnant, with her sister dead? When Amy told this story to the woman that worked for us in Africa, in Kenya, her response was, why didn't they name you after your mother's sister? In her mind, my wife should have been named Esther. After her mother's beloved sister, like Jesus was named for Israel's beloved deliverer, Joshua. After the naming, Jesus was dedicated to the Lord in the temple by Simeon and Anna, and five months later, his mother was purified from her uncleanness after giving birth, and then Jesus was presented in the temple at age 12. 
Now, Luke's purpose in including all of these experiences in Jesus' life is clear. Jesus was raised in a family of devout Israelite parents with the tradition of following the law and of worshiping in the temple. So we assume Jesus was trained well in his adolescent and early adult lives by devout parents who are an example to us as we baptize our children, teach them, model for them what it means to follow Jesus, and bring them for immersion in a community of Jesus followers. Nevertheless, what happens next (laughs) might cause us to question the judgment of Jesus' godly parents. According to verses 43 and 44, after the festival was over, while Jesus' parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. They were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day, then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Can you imagine Jesus' parents leaving Jerusalem without checking to see whether their adolescent son was with them, traveling a whole day, not wondering about his whereabouts? Today, we would consider Mary and Joseph negligent parents. When I attend a football game with my son's family, I've seen him check on his daughters, although I don't think they know that, who are relatively the same age as Jesus. The action of Jesus' parents is somewhere between home alone, where the parents forget about Kevin, and Huckleberry Finn, where Huck runs away. You notice my pop cultural examples are much older than Pastor David's. (laughs) Amy grew up on the edge of Millersville University's campus. She and her friends ran around that campus without adult supervision. I grew up in Donaldsville, Ohio, and I had the run of Donaldsville to play football, baseball, basketball, go sledding without parental oversight. Our parents clearly thought we were safe in our hometown communities, and perhaps we can understand the confidence of Mary and Joseph, that Jesus was hanging out with his friends among the Galilean relatives from Nazareth, attending Passover together, or maybe because the men and women traveled separately. Mary thought Jesus was with Joseph, and Joseph thought he was with Mary. That ever happened in your family? In any case, later in the day, they finally decide to check on him. No cell phones. So they inquire among the travelers. According to verses 45 to 47, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Can you imagine the worry and concern of Mary and Joseph after three days. Richard Vinson says this, this story was a lot easier to preach or teach before my own two sons were born, and before I had the experience of the overwhelming grief and panic 
that comes when a child is lost, even very briefly. I always want to preface this story with, please don't try this with your kids. Finally, Jesus' parents find him anxiously searching through the huge temple courts, much more like a football stadium than a church. Those temple courts were huge. Jesus is dialoguing with the legal experts, listening and answering questions, and asking questions. Hearing and questioning is the way young people learn. Moreover, the anxiety of his parents contrasts with Jesus' matter-of-fact calmness. A 12-year-old, oblivious to his parents' concern, although he might have thought of them occasionally while conversing in the temple for three days with the teachers. But these temple theologians are impressed with Jesus. His understanding of the law, his answers to questions, perhaps because his parents had taught him regularly at home. Nevertheless, Mary is not impressed with Jesus' erudition. According to verses 48 and 49, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? When Mary and Joseph, Jesus' human father and mother, finally find him, Mary questions and reprimands him for causing them to worry. She is expressing normal parental concern. Son, why have you treated us like this? But Jesus shows normal adolescent puzzlements. Surprised? Feeling he was exactly where he was supposed to be? Jesus says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I've actually heard similar conversations between my grandchildren and their parents. At the age of 12, John, Jesus, I'm sorry, knows exactly who he is and who his true father is. The young Jesus is annoyed at being taken away by his human father and mother from his heavenly father's house. And then Jesus asks the most significant question in the entire scripture lesson. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Although the word house is not in the original text of this passage, Jesus felt at home in the temple, the house of God. The place is not important. What is important is Jesus is doing his heavenly father's business, as the King James Version translates that. Home is where the father's work is being done. Now, the ambiguity of the word father in this passage makes clear Jesus' relationship to his heavenly father and where his home is. Mary assumes Jesus, I'm sorry, Mary assumes Joseph is Jesus' father when she says, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And Joseph is Jesus' legal father as the husband of his mother Mary. But in the birth story, Mary called Jesus her son, her son. 
in a society where only men had sons. I guess they forgot that women had a part in the process. But at the direction, and at the direction of the angel, Mary gives Jesus his name. Zechariah, not Elizabeth, gave their son the name John. Mary is not the meek and mild woman portrayed in the crushes that we see around us at Christmas. She is primary here. Joseph fades into the background. Although Mary recognizes Joseph as Jesus' human father, Jesus makes clear who his true father is. Didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house? Jesus clarifies what the angel announced to Mary, that the one she will conceive in her womb and give the name of Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High God. And this time, the idea comes from Jesus himself. Jesus' first recorded words affirm that he is the Son of God, of his heavenly Father, God. Indeed, Jesus is well along on his intellectual and spiritual apprenticeship under the Most High God. That apprenticeship continued undoubtedly between his appearance in the temple here and his emergence as a public figure 18 years later at the age of 30, but we hear nothing of this in the Gospels. Although it is likely that Jesus returned yearly to continue his conversations with the teachers in the temple, Jesus' true mentor is God. And yet the issue of divine apprenticeship is a puzzle to his human parents. According to verse 50, they do not understand what he's saying. They don't comprehend Jesus' relationship to his heavenly Father. Nevertheless, Jesus' respect for his human parents is stated in verse 51. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Even though Nazareth is north of Jerusalem, it's always up to Jerusalem and down home, wherever home is. Jerusalem is above Nazareth, both in altitude and in spiritual importance. And as Jesus returns home to Nazareth, he is now aware of his heavenly Father, but he willingly submits to his human parents as an obedient son. Mary's response in verse 51 is thoughtful. She treasured all these things in her heart. N.T. Wright suggests perhaps Mary is keeping a notebook of her experiences giving birth to her first child. Did you do that? The great preacher, Fred Craddock, speculates that perhaps Mary's diary is the source of this account of Jesus' visit to the temple. Who would have been a better source than his mother Mary? Perhaps we should give more credit to Mary for preserving that account. And Luke's version of the infancy story that we consider during Advent and Christmas concludes with a summary that repeats what came before the Scripture lesson in verse 40, both 40 and 52. 
And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. Indeed, Jesus is God. The Word became flesh. Jesus is the Son of the Most High God, so we worship the God that looks like Jesus. Have you heard that before? Being a parent is a mystery. Somehow a lot of Amy and I are in our son Marcus and our daughter Helena. When I visit Bedford County, where my son teaches, I'll be on the street and someone will address Mr. Yates. And I think they're talking to me. And in a sense, they are. When we wonder what God looks like, we look at His Son, Jesus, who calls us to follow God by following Jesus. In reading that book on discipleship that Pastor Melissa shared with us, I reflected on times when I have been immersed in the process of being a disciple of Jesus. As Jesus was so immersed in following His Father God that He forgot His human parents. Of course, my parental home was probably the most significant source of my mentoring. But I've been immersed in other spiritual homes that have discipled me. Let me mention briefly only two. My home congregation, Beulah Chapel, in Springfield, Ohio, was certainly not perfect. But I was discipled there in many ways. Some I had to unlearn later. And yet the immersion was almost complete. Church on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, love feasts and two-week revivals in the spring and fall. I learned the Bible from my mother and quoted it on our congregation's radio broadcast before I was able to go to, old enough to go to school. I was apprenticed by my childhood Sunday school teacher who helped us to love the church community by playing fun games, going out for ice cream, letting us drive his car before we were old enough to be licensed, and spending much time with us. And when I attended that church as an adult, I always sat with that childhood Sunday school teacher until he died. I memorized the Sermon on the Mount in my teenage Sunday school class. And that teacher was close enough in age to me to be a mentor, and we are still in touch. My other immersion was as a student at Messiah College, not a university then. Messiah immersed me in a discipling community. Lisa Seacrest's father, Martin Shrug, taught us theology, but also had us in his home. And I had the privilege of having a home only a few buildings away from him when we were together at seminary, me as a student and him as a visiting professor. And Alden Long taught me Bible and Greek, but also had the class overnight at Adolfoy, one of Al's, the cabin, one of Al's homes. And K.B. Hoover helped me to deal with issues of science and religion. Indeed, those three Messiah mentors and I shared a spiritual home here at Grantham Church. 
at Beulah Chapel and Grantham Church, I was taught information. I was mentored by more mature followers of Jesus, and I was immersed in a community. There were times, I am sure, my parents thought that I had left their home to find a home among my professors at Messiah in Princeton. And where really is home? My brother-in-law was raised in Kansas until he moved to Pennsylvania with his mother and father. Soon after he married Amy's sister, they moved to Massachusetts, raised their family, and lived there until he died. And yet, his ashes are buried with Amy's sister and her family in Bossler's Cemetery outside of Elizabethtown. Although he lived only a few years in Pennsylvania, in a sense, his home was here. My parents and their extended family are all buried outside my hometown in Ohio. And yet, because I have lived most of my life here, raised my family here, taught at Messiah College for 33 years, and attended Grantham Church for about that long, Amy and I will be married at Grantham Memorial Park. I'm sorry, did I say married? Buried at Grantham Memorial Park. I don't, I don't know. Our home is here. My home is where I spent most of my life. But for my brother-in-law, home involved other, perhaps more spiritual connections. Quoting from the materials that were provided for this sermon series on home, the Advent and Christmas scriptures are rich with metaphors, home metaphors and imagery. After receiving the angel's news about Jesus' birth, Mary retreats to Elizabeth's home, seeking refuge and safety. Jesus is born in the midst of a journey from home in a crowded dwelling amongst livestock and shepherds alike. The Magi travel far from home to pay homage to Jesus, and they avoid Herod by traveling home another way. In these scriptures, home is both physical and metaphorical. In them, God draws near and makes home on earth. At present, Grantham Church is the spiritual home for most of us and our children. As we focus today on the young Jesus, his parents, his teachers, his experiences, the community that contributed to his growth in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, in what ways does our church provide a home to develop disciples of Jesus? May we strive to create immersion for our children, youth, and ourselves to feel that our faith community is home, where we belong. As we do this, may we also strive to create for everyone a place of welcome, a chosen home. Let's pray. God, you have revealed the glory of your love in the face of Jesus and called us to invite him into our homes and to follow Jesus into the world. As we remember his nativity, 
Fill our hearts with gladness at his birth. Let there be in us a new birth of faith, hope, and wonder. And make us joyous, trustful, and triumphant. Amen.